Good afternoon. Welcome to our afternoon service. This afternoon, first Sunday in August, we're looking at John and we're in chapter 1 and we'll read from verse 43 to verse 51. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the first chapter of John's Gospel and verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Now Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Uh, Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And may God bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Come and see. John 1 is coming to a close, close in John 2, we begin with the first of the seven signs. We will also see seven I am statements, and the book is going to take on a very definite order. Remember, the purpose of John's Gospel, John 20, verse 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So part of the purpose was evangelistic, to shore up these new believers, to give them courage to then pass on this message to others. John's Gospel is to tell us about Jesus, that we might then tell others what we have seen. Show and tell, come and see. And in this story, at the conclusion of chapter 1, God wants us to see more about Jesus and to share more about Jesus. You probably know something about Jesus. Maybe a lot of things. Every time we come to God's word, there is more that God wants to show us about Jesus. He wants us to see more of Jesus. He wants us to share more of Jesus. What is God showing me about Jesus? How might I be able to encourage and to tell more people about Jesus? In this text we have show and tell, come and see. We'll spend most of the time with the first of those big categories. Showing. What does 
God show us about Jesus? Well, look at the context, look at the stage. Look at verse 43. The next day. Verse 21, 9. Verse 29, the next day. Verse 35, the next day. Verse 43, the next day. So we are on the third of these next days. The fourth day in this beginning week, maybe the first week, or if not the first, the quintessential, quintessential week in Jesus' early ministry. First of all, we see Philip. It is uncertain exactly how he was found. We'll say more about that at the end. But Jesus, in verse 43, says to Philip, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida. He was known probably to Andrew and Simon Peter, maybe a follower of John the Baptist. Just like it seems that Andrew and the unnamed disciple, who is John, most likely who is writing this gospel, Andrew and the unnamed disciple, John, were followers of the Baptist. John the evangelist, John the gospel writer, is part of this group, and Andrew. And Andrew had found his brother Simon, who the Lord names Cephas, Peter. So now we have Philip, and then Philip finds Nathaniel, verse 45. Now, who is Nathaniel? We don't hear about Nathaniel in the other Gospels. Many people think, most people think, that Nathaniel is the same disciple as in the other lists as Bartholomew. In Matthew chapter 10 and Mark chapter 3 and Luke chapter 6, Bartholomew is linked with Philip in all of the three synoptic Gospels. So you have Philip and Bartholomew. So that's our understanding, our best guess, that Nathaniel is Bartholomew. Bartholomew is not so much a first name as it was like a family designation, like Bar-Jonah would be son of Jonah. Bartholomew would be the son of Ptolemaeus. Nathaniel is his first name. He's listed in John 21, verse 2, right after Thomas. He's given the name Nathaniel. Acts 1, verse 13, Bartholomew is listed after Thomas. So there's many indications that Bartholomew, who we hear about in the synoptic Gospels, is Nathaniel. Now Philip comes to Nathaniel, comes to the Nathaniel in verse 45, and he says, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You can, you can hear Philip's excitement in his voice. Clearly there was some sort of messianic expectation. Now, they did not have a clear idea who the Messiah would be. They tended to misunderstand him as a political leader, as a military chieftain. They certainly didn't understand that the Messiah would have to suffer and die and be raised again on the third day. But they were looking for someone, for a deliverer, for a Messiah, for the one written about in the law 
and then the prophet. So you can picture it, just picture the scene. Philip comes up out of breath. Nathaniel, listen up, we found him. The one that we've been waiting for, the one that we've been looking for, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Which prompts Nathaniel's famous question in verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's actually more emphatic than that in the Greek. Nazareth? Are you sure? Not because it was a notorious place, but because it was a nothing place. Located three and a half miles southeast of the larger city of Sephorus, 12 miles southwest of the Sea of Galilee. It was a very small town. We're talking about a very small town, probably several hundred people in Nazareth. Nazareth was not the place that they were expecting the Messiah to come from. It wasn't a place of note or significance, or seen to be a place that was going to give birth to famous, inspiring people. Just insert in your mind a small town, a very small town. I'm thinking maybe Plumstead, near to where I was born in Eltham. And remember, Jesus, though Jesus sounds like a very spiritual name to us, scholars tell us it was one of the more common names among first century Jewish males. Joseph was certainly not an uncommon name. So it is like your friend running up to you, brout of breath, and saying, I have found the Messiah, it is Jack. From Plumstead, near Eltham, Dave's son, Nazareth. Nobody comes from Nazareth. Are you sure the Messiah? Think about everything you know that Nathaniel does not know. It makes Nathaniel's comment somewhere on the scale between tragic and comic because all he hears is Nazareth. But think of what we have seen about Jesus of Nazareth. In verse 1, he is the Word. In verse 1, not only is Jesus the Word that was with God, he is the Word that is God. Verse 4, he is life. Verse 5, he is the light that comes into the world. Verse 14, he is the one and only, the monogenes, the only begotten Son from the Father. Verse 14, he is full of grace and truth. We see in verse 15, 26 and 30, that he is greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist, you think of his following. John the Baptist is nothing compared to Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 18, we know no one has seen God, the only God. Monogenes. Monologies at the Father's side, he has made him known. He is at the Father's side, he is greater than John the Baptist. Verse 23, he is the Lord. 
John is a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. If John is the one crying in the wilderness, the one coming after him is the Lord. Curious. Not only that, but verse 29, verse 36, Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 33, he is the one on whom the Spirit of God will descend and remain. Verse 33, he's also the one who baptises with the Holy Spirit. Verse 34, he is the Son of God. Verse 38, he is a rabbi. Verse 41, he is the Messiah, the Christ. I just listed different things that we have learnt about Jesus of Nazareth from chapter 1. So by the time you get to Nathaniel's statement in verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? If we're paying attention to anything that John has said in his gospel already, we should say a lot can come out of Nazareth. We're talking about the light, the life, the word, the Messiah, the Son, the Lord, the Lamb of God, God himself. And sometimes God shows up in the most surprising of places like Nazareth. But John is telling you it is really him. We know all that Nathaniel has yet to learn. And when we get to the end of the chapter, we see the stark contrast. Nathaniel will see it, that Jesus is the light, he is the life. He is the word, the Messiah, the Son, Lord, Lamb, God himself, and out of Nazareth. And we see Jesus reply after Philip tells Nathaniel to come and see. Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit, or an Israelite in whom there is no guile, the King James says so beautifully. Do you, do you ever see in the Bible that Jesus has a lot of patience for honest seekers? For people who aren't all the way yet there yet. If they're honest about themselves, they're honest to God. Jesus has patience for people like that. Notice who Jesus does not seem to have a lot of patience for. The hypocrites, the phonies, the people who are trying to trap Jesus or trick him. The conspicuously pious, the people who announce their prayers, who tell everybody how much they give, the people who make sure everyone sees them dressed up, going to church, everybody who sees them as the offering plate goes by, very dramatically giving. They're the kind of people Jesus does not seem to have a lot of time for, but people like this who genuinely exclaim from the heart, Nazareth, are you kidding? Jesus says he is someone without deceit. There is probably a play on words here. The Old Testament, Jacob became Israel. Jacob's name meant trickster. And you remember the story after he deceives Esau out of his blessing and his birthright in Genesis 27. Esau says, he is rightly called Jacob, for he has deceived me these two times. He took away my birthright, he took away my blessing. And then in chapter 28 in following, Jacob becomes Israel. 
So it's almost as if Jesus is saying, Aha, Nathaniel, I like you. Here is an Israel with no Jacob, no trickery, no deceit. Verse 48, Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? You can read the commentary, commentaries, and nobody is sure, but there is something between Nathaniel and Jesus that may have been clearer to those who were originally hearing and reading this. There is something in the Lord Jesus' comment to Nathaniel, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, that really cuts to Nathaniel's core. So he says, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. So what was it? What was it about seeing Nathaniel under the fig tree? Well, some people speculate, was it a time of special communion with God that he had under the fig tree? The fig tree was the symbol of ease and rest and prosperity. Everyone will sit under their own fig tree. So perhaps he is here under his fig tree having a time of communion with God and Jesus said, I saw you there. Or maybe Nathaniel just thought, yes, I was under the fig tree and nobody was around me, but somehow Jesus of Nazareth saw me and knew me. Whatever it was, there is something in this exchange between the Lord Jesus and Nathaniel that signifies to Nathaniel that Jesus is no ordinary man. And Nathaniel knows that Jesus can see right through him. Verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And add that to the long list. The designations of Jesus heading into this section and now we have more. Verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael calls him Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel, and the last phrase was used by Palestinian Jews as a designation for the Messiah. He is the Christ, the Deliverer, the Saviour, the One we are looking for. Now, does Nathaniel understand what that means completely? Of course not. But he has heard enough from Philip, and he's heard enough from Jesus, who has spoken to him in a way that no one has spoken to him before, to say, you are the Messiah, even from little Nazareth. Let's see what the Lord Jesus says in reply. Verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? In other words, do you think that is impressive? You haven't seen anything yet. You will see greater things than these. And verse 51, and he said to him, truly, Truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus finishes this remarkable opening chapter with all of these, now numbering almost 20 different titles or epithets or designations or names for Jesus. Verse 50, verse 50, 
You think that is impressive? You have not seen anything yet. You will see greater things than these. Verse 51. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So John, the Gospel writer, finishes this remarkable open, opening chapter with these wonderful different titles, about 20 different titles or designations or names for Jesus. And now Jesus ends by referencing two more. He references two Old Testament texts. The first is Genesis 28. It makes sense. We were just in Genesis 27, thinking you are Israel, in whom there is no Jacob, the one without guile, without trickery. And now Jesus is referring to Genesis 28. You'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. Genesis 28, where Jacob has a dream. He sees a ladder from earth to heaven. And on the ladder are angels going up and down, ascending and descending. And when he wakes up, he says, surely God is in this place. And he calls it Bethel. Beth being the word for house. El being short for Elohim, for God. This is the house of God. This is the dream. And Jesus says, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Is he thinking of his transfiguration? I don't think he's thinking of one particular event, but rather what the entire life and ministry of the Lord Jesus is going to reveal. Jesus is making clear, he's making visible this conduit of glory. Just as Jacob had a dream and saw a ladder, what was the ladder signifying? The ladder connected heaven and earth. In Jacob's dream, there is a ladder. So heaven and earth can have communication and communion with each other. Angels can ascend and descend. Glory can go up and down. The ladder was a symbol joining heaven and earth. Now Jesus says, you don't need Jacob's ladder. I am the ladder. I will connect heaven and earth. Jesus is the link between the two. Jesus is the ladder on earth reaching to heaven. He is going to be the place of revelation. He is where heaven and earth meet. Jesus is the new Bethel, the house of God. And he says one of his favourite self-designations. He calls himself the Son of Man. Sometimes I think simplistically we think that the Son of God refers to his humanity and the Son of Man to his humanity. Beg your pardon. Sometimes we think the Son of God refers to his divinity and the Son of Man to his humanity. But the Son of Man is one of the strongest designations in the Old Testament of his deity, not so much of his humanity. Do you know where Son of Man comes from? Daniel 7. And many of us may think that when Jesus says Son of Man, he's saying, I am a man, I am the Son of Man, and I am the Son of God. But that's not what the term the Son of Man refers to. It refers to Daniel 7 and a vision. So Jesus, is, Jesus finishes John 1 with a vision that Jacob had in Genesis 28 and a vision that Daniel had in Daniel 7. Daniel 7 verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. 
His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. He sees the one on the throne in the Ancient of Days, a divine figure clothed in white. Theopony language, throne, fiery flames, wheels burning, fire, streams of fire. God on his throne, the Ancient of Days. Daniel 7 verse 13. I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You have the ancient of days clearly divine. And you have one like a son of man. Who is not identified with the ancient of days. Because the son of man comes to the ancient of days. And the son of man bears all the marks of divinity. Equal to the ancient of days. He receives dominion, glory, kingdom. An everlasting kingdom that will never pass away. So you have the Ancient of Days, a divine appearance, and you have the Son of Man, a divine appearance, approaching the Ancient of Days. So when Jesus uses this phrase, which he does, to refer to himself as the Son of Man, he isn't saying I'm human, though he is, though he is and was, but Jesus is saying I am the one at the Father's side. I am the one who was with God and is God, the Son of Man, before the Ancient of Days. And so though they may not have understood fully what was going on in these end verses, Jesus is describing himself in the most exalted language possible. So add to that list of designations that Jesus is Jacob's ladder and Jesus is the Son of Man that Daniel foretold. John, in his gospel, is showing us, is telling us an awful lot about Jesus. And that's just chapter one. What can we tell about Jesus? In the last few minutes, I want us to think about what we can tell others about this Jesus. Think of how glorious we've seen, the glories we've seen in chapter one about Jesus. We are all natural evangelists for the people and things that we love the most. It's not hard to tell people about when you get engaged. It's not hard to tell people about a new Indian restaurant that you love or a new bacon-covered donut. You like it. You're excited about it. We are all natural evangelists for the things we love the most. So if we are never talking about Jesus... If we are never sharing about Jesus, if we never easily having Jesus come, we might want to ask, have we really seen him? Do we really know him? When you know him, when you see him, when you savour him, how can we 
not want to speak about Jesus. Personal evangelism is hard for me. I have to pray, I have to think, I have to be wise. Some have a real gift for it and just have a knack for it. Most people do not. It is hard, but I do think that at least on my best days I love to speak about Jesus. And I get to do that to you. Where can you tell people about Jesus? You have seen, now you say. Show and tell. Do you see what is going on in our text? We have Philip, who was with Andrew and Peter. He says in verse 46, we have found him. So it seems that the we, Philip is now with Andrew and Peter. They're from the same city, Bethsaida. Philip may be may have been one of John's disciples as well. Maybe that's how he got connected with Andrew and Peter. Nathaniel is in a different category. He's probably not one of John the Baptist's disciples, but they want him to meet Jesus. And here we have one of the main themes in John's Gospel anticipated, come and see. Jesus said it. Philip says it. Come and see. It is a lesson for us. You see what Philip does. He has this friend, Nathaniel, who is sceptical. You are friends who are sceptical, who are cynical. They don't know Jesus. They don't know the church. They don't know the Bible. And this is the model that God would commend to us. You see what Philip does. He doesn't get into a long, protracted argument. Sometimes you get to people to the heart through the head, but more often than not, it is maybe this approach that God commends to us. When your friend says, I don't believe, come and see. It is non-threatening. It is not argumentative. It is, would you be willing to take a look at Jesus of Nazareth? Come and see. Maybe that is what you have to do with that friend or that colleague you wanted to share the gospel with. You just need to know where Jesus is. Come and see. I may not have all the answers, but I can tell you where you can meet Jesus. Come and see. Take a look. That is what Philip does. I know Nathaniel, it sounds far-fetched. I know Nazareth isn't what we were expecting, but would you come and see? Maybe that, what God would say to you Maybe Jesus has been off in the distance. Maybe you have been to church and you think about these things. But you don't really know him. You're not following him. You haven't given your life to him. Would you be willing to come and see, to listen? To come to church and listen to a sermon for a few weeks. You have Andrew. We left Andrew in the last section, but he may well be in this section. You see verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. You can look in the Greek, the word Jesus isn't there. It may well be that he decided to go to Galilee is Jesus. That's how the ESV translates it, and it is a fair understanding. But some scholars, Don Carson among them, have argued that the he at the beginning of verse 43 is not stated by any name, and maybe Andrew. Andrew went to Galilee and found Philip. Because Jesus is there at the end of verse 43. Because Jesus is the one who says, follow me. 
Is Jesus the one who found Philip? Or is Andrew the one who found Philip? If you get my point. And one of the reasons to think that the he might be Andrew is because every time you meet Andrew in the book of John, he's bringing someone to Jesus. John 1.41, he first found his own brother Simon and says to him, we have found the Messiah. Andrew bringing his brother to Jesus. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Where are they going to get food? John 6 verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. Andrew bringing a boy to Jesus. John 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to the worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Three times Andrew brings people to Jesus. Simon Peter, you must meet Jesus. Little boy, you must meet Jesus. Jesus, here are some Greeks, Philip and I, thought they would need, want to see you. So it could be in chapter one, the he, not designated as a reference to Andrew, doing what Andrew does best, bringing people to Jesus. And even if that is not the case, we still see in the opening chapter the pattern of Christian discipleship. John the Baptist announced to Andrew and possibly John the Evangelist that there is the Messiah John brought them to Jesus, then Andrew found Peter, then Andrew found Philip perhaps, and Philip found Nathaniel, and that is the way it is supposed to work. New people follow Jesus, who in turn bring their friends and family, who become disciples, and then they repeat the process over and over again. It is as simple and as scary and as freeing as that. Introduce people to Jesus. Tell people what Jesus has done for you. You need to know Jesus. You need to love people. And you need to have a burden to connect the people you love with the Jesus you know. Come and see. And I'll let me just leave you with two questions. What have you seen? And whom will you tell? What have you seen? Some of us have seen a lot. We've heard 10,000 sermons. We've seen a lot about Jesus, praise the Lord. So who are you going to tell? One person this week. Is there one person? Might you pray, Lord, give me one person this week that I can tell about Jesus. That I can simply say, come and see. What have you been shown? Who? are you going to tell? May the Lord bless the word for his glory and for our eternal good. Amen.